the bells tolled ten times in memory of Hannah Camara and Jack Aspard. Welcome to another edition of the In Ring Reality Podcast. This is the AEW Double or Nothing Review edition. I, of course, am your host, Josh Wazowskis. I'm joined by my friend and host of the In the Hot Seat Podcast, Fort Minor Project, David Rivera. David, how are you? Doing pretty good. Back at it again. We are back at it again. What he means by that is we recorded in the hot seat earlier. So if you guys and gals want to check that out when you're done here, whether you're watching live or listening to the audio version, all the links for that will be down below in the description after our broadcast. So this literally is double or nothing today because this is the second Mm -hmm. time we've talked about this show. So hopefully we don't repeat ourselves too much, but hey, a good pay-per-view is a good pay-per-view, and that's all you can ask for. So we are going to kick this off with just how the card went down, and then we'll just, you know, chime in with our specific thoughts as it goes. So first match of the night was the buy-in match for the number one contender shifted attacking titles. Private Party takes on Best Friends. Best Friends, Chuck Taylor, and Trent get the victory here. Not a real big surprise for me at all because the way Best Friends have been built up as the best tag team in AEW, especially during the pandemic. So I wasn't surprised at all. The only thing that really did surprise me was that Pirate Party looked a little bit green in spots because they are green and their inexperience shows a little bit, but I still think they're incredibly talented. But yeah, kudos to AEW for being able to keep a plate spinning this long because they had set up Best Friends versus Omega and Paige before Paige had to go away for a while because of the pandemic. So they've been able to keep that going for this long, which is really impressive. So what were your thoughts over all this match? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much, you know, as is. I like that it was just one match, and we did. Yeah, they're having best friends actually winning. I'm cool with that, and they've been, you know, pretty much on a roll lately. We've been seeing them a lot more often. We don't get to see a whole lot of the tag teams now, which is understandable. So, I want to see how they do against, you know, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page in the near future. Absolutely. So next up was one of the best ways that I have ever seen to kick off a pay-per-view. Because we described this earlier as mm-hmm. a cross between the Money in the Bank ladder match in WWE and the Royal Rumble in WWE because that's literally what it was. It's the casino ladder match where the winner got this giant chip that earned them a future shot at the AEW World Championship. And the way this worked was two guys started out in the ring against each other. And then just like the Royal Rumble, every 90 seconds, someone else came down until all the participants were in. But as I said, this was a ladder match and everything that involves the ladder match along with it. So the two standouts to this match, in my opinion, were Darby Allen, 
who was just absolutely insane, crazy. He did a skateboard spot where he had a skateboard on top of mm-hmm. one ladder, jumped off that ladder onto another ladder, and went through that second ladder and busted up his knee in kayfabe. Thankfully, he wasn't really hurt, but, you know, mm-hmm. sold that knee throughout the match. And then, of course, the surprise entrant in the match, which everybody knew what was going to happen. There was a TBD in this match, and the TBD ended up really, truly being a surprise because it was somebody that I didn't predict at all. Somebody that, honestly, I kind of forgot about was even a free agent because of all the WWE shakeups lately, but it's Brian Cage. Brian Cage is the new client of Taz. And I love that pairing because Brian Cage's only weakness really is his promo skills. So you can't really get a better mouthpiece than Taz. And Brian Cage just goes nuts, as you would expect. And then my favorite spot of this entire match was the way everybody reacted to Brian Cage's Mm -hmm. presence. They were like, man, Brian Cage is unstoppable. So how do we stop him? So they took a bunch of chairs, took a couple other things, I think took a table. But then the big thing they did was they took one of the giant casino chips that was on the set. They took it down and brought it over and buried Cage underneath it, only to have Cage later on, like, pull the incredible hog moment and break through it, like, you know, put his arms up in the air and break through it. It was just a lot of fun. And I I don't think you can ask anything more from that, from a debuting star. And Cage wins. Cage gets the victory. So Cage will take place against the AW World Champion for his title shot at Fighter Fest. So really, really enjoyed this match a lot. I thought it was one of the most unique ladder matches that we've had was surprised to see Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian, two-thirds of SCU, actually be the first two participants in the match because they actually had to square off for a minute. The stuff with Superbad Sabian and Penelope Ford was great. I love their chemistry. They remind me of a poor man's version of Karrion Cross or a Killer Cross, as a lot of you probably know him. They changed his name to Karrion now that he's in NXT and Scarlett Bordeaux. That's what those two remind me of. So, yeah, no real complaints here. Really, really strong, solid opener. What did you think of this match? I think this was probably one of my favorite matches. I know we talked about this, too, earlier with some of those insane spots. And, you know, I don't think I've really ever seen Taz doing the manager thing. So that's definitely certainly new. I know he was looking for somebody, and now I think, yeah, Brian Cage having to be that perfect fit for him and to see how he's going to be able to talk for him and stuff like that. I was, you know, wondering maybe Melissa Santos might come in. I know, you know, he's married to her and everything, so maybe we'll see her at some point, but we'll see about that. But that's pretty cool that he was able to be the mystery opponent and actually won the match. So that's going to be really something since he is a former world champion. So I'm happy Brian Cage is in AEW. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it gives us a reason to watch Fighter Fest because Fighter mm-hmm. Fest last year didn't really feel like a pay-per-view. It felt like TV before they had TV. So at least, at the very least, putting this match on to Fighter Fest, I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. So, yeah, they have at least one good match on the card already. And I'm sure more to come. And as you said, Melissa Santos, I actually forgot about those two being married. So the women's division always could use more talent. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they bring her in. I don't know what her contract status is elsewhere right Mm. now, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I know she's like doing like, you know, the whole thing for impact and she like talks like in between the matches for Twitch. That's where I mainly see her now the most, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Next up was MJF versus Jungle Boy. You know, for somebody that has been watching wrestling as long as the you and I have, David, a yeah. lot of times we get very jaded because we forget what it actually means to be a heel. MJF feels like somebody came right out of the 80s and 90s. I mean, this kid mm-hmm. believes in kayfabe. He lives his gimmick. Like, he'll just oozes out of this guy. And I, I love every bit of it. Like him faking an injury during the course of the match just so he can get the upper hand. And the back and forth chemistry between these two guys. Like, MJF and Jungle Boy had a match a couple of months ago on Dynamite, but they took that good match (laughs) that they had there and just raised it up to a whole other level. This was definitely a pay-per-view match, and tell you what, screwy finish because the heel won aside. I'm like, this is a main event caliber match in four to five years' time between these two young guys. Was really, really impressed by this match. One of the best singles matches I've seen in a while. No, yeah, yeah. MJF is, you know, I think he's really awesome as a heel and everything to the point where he almost doesn't really need Wardlow and he can be just fine on his own. I know he's had a group with the Dynasty and MLW and everything and that was really fun to really see that as still there pretty much here and there and everything. So, yeah, MJF, uh, him winning now, he's still undefeated. So I wonder who's actually going to be able to defeat MJF. And I'm sure he probably won't be happy about that either. It's going to be Cody. I mean, that's the payoff for that yeah. whole long-term storyline is Cody finally mm-hmm. beats him. And maybe Cody will then eventually get the world title shot because MJF gets so cocky. Mm-hmm. Be like, I'll give you another chance to beat me. And then he beats him. But we'll have to see what happens with that because of what happened next, which was Cody's yeah. match. It was the Segway. TNT Championship match. Yes, professionals <laughs> around here, people. Segway, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> it was the TNT Championship match as the American Nightmare. Cody took on the Murderhawk Monster, Lance Archer with, uh, of course, Arn Anderson and Jake Roberts in their respective corners. I really like this match. There, there have been some people that have criticized this match for being kind of sloppy and ended, 
And I kind of can kind of see that because Mike Tyson's involvement at the end and the way the match ended with them sort of like forcing the narrative with him and him not actually punching anybody. It was kind of like, well, why was he there other than to react? I, like I thought for sure that he was going to punch somebody, but like maybe his management team was like, I don't think that's a good idea because you could seriously hurt one of the wrestlers or maybe yeah. the plans changed when they realized that there wasn't going to be any real fans in attendance and it was just going to be AEW employees and friends who weren't being used and got tested so maybe the ending to the match got changed but overall the structure of the match was so good you know Lance Archer hits his finisher right at the start of the match forcing Cody to roll out to keep from being pinned in like 30 seconds. And then the entire narrative was him overcoming Lance Archer throughout the match. So Archer looks really strong in defeat as Cody is your new TNT champion. And like I said, I think that I had picked Cody to win this match simply because of the fact that he cannot win the world title right now. And also it feels like something that a Rhodes would do. Cody is a big, big component of the middle card or mid card championship rather is the cornerstone of the best worker in the company. We saw it with Cody bringing back the classic I see title in WWE because he's always had that mindset and moniker. So I feel like that's what he wants to do with the TNT title. Like he's going to make the TNT title a true television type of championship where it's on the line week in and week out and really elevates everybody involved with it. I did on your show earlier this morning criticized the TNT championship. But as you pointed out, and as I've since been able to confirm while you're away taking care mm-hmm. of some things, the title is not actually finished because there's only a few places in the world that actually make world titles. And right now, because no. of the pandemic, they just were not able to finish the title. So I'm I'm going to put a pin and how the title looks because I think it'll look much better when it's finished. But overall, like I really enjoyed the structure of the match and I think the right man won. And I think if they want to continue Cody and Lance Archer, there's something there. If they want to move Lance Archer away from it and bring somebody else in the title picture, like it's wide open what they could do. So what was your overall Mm -hmm. opinion on this match? I was actually kind of thinking that Lance Archer is actually going to get away with it, but I can see why they went with Cody and everything. And I understand now why, too, the way how the TNT championship looks now and everything. So with it being not really finished properly. So, you know, I'm curious to see, like, what else they're going to really add to it in terms of colors and everything because we only saw a little bit of the red and the rest was pretty much kind of plain. So... Uh, getting into, like, again, with MJF, I feel like him and Cody would fight for the TNT Championship at some point. I don't know. I, I think so as well. Or yeah. maybe it's like a 
double thing where like if you beat me I, you become TNT champion but if I beat you I can challenge mm-hmm. the world champion again like yeah like a like stipulation to it yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure so yeah I could see that it's, it's a really interesting future with the TNT title I can't wait to see it evolve and where it goes and I also think mm-hmm. I forgot to mention this earlier on your show I believe or it could have done. I haven't had a chance to watch it back yet, to be honest. Okay. But I really like the idea of it being the TNT championship. I think it shows great commitment by Turner and just shows the faith that they have in the company that they're behind by them putting their network on the name of the title. I think that's really strong and really cool for AEW. Yeah, I wasn't too sure what it was going to be called. And then again, like what would happen if they move away from TNT and stuff like that. But, you know, it's pretty interesting. It's definitely a different name, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree with you there. AEW ringside physician Dr. Samson gave a update on Dr. Britt Baker's injuries. She, he said the injury is not as bad as the patient. Which I thought was a great line because, you know, mm-hmm. Britt Baker's a tremendous role model heel. But Britt Baker's got a portion of three different injuries. And supposedly it's not as severe as they thought it would be, which is a good thing. So she's going to be out. We just don't know how long she's going to be out. I hope it's not long because she's just killing it right now. She's my favorite women's character in AEW by far. I love everything she's been doing, so I hope she can come back soon. No, yeah, that was pretty crazy, like, seeing that, how it happened and everything. I was hoping things were fine, but, you know, just by seeing the replay and Dynamite and everything, you know, hopefully it won't be, like, a year. Maybe it'll be less than that, and then we could see her maybe at the next pay-per-view then. Yeah, maybe. So her replacement then took on her scheduled opponent, the Galaxy's Greatest Alien. I just love that nickname. Can I just say that? I love that nah, nickname. I don't blame you. Yeah, I love that nickname, mm-hmm. and I love this gimmick. The Galaxy's Greatest Alien, Chris Hemsworth. I mean, for what this was, which was an obvious replacement match, and the fact that the two ladies probably didn't have a lot of time to work out a match. There were a few botches here and there, but again, I kind of put a pin in that and kind of excuse it because it wasn't the plan. So I thought for what we got, I thought both ladies looked okay here. No real complaints from me. Yeah, like going into this, I literally didn't expect like the change and everything, but unfortunately it happened and everything. So with that, you know, Chris Statler doing her thing and everything, and I'm sure we'll get to see what we're supposed to see with her and Britt Baker at some point, whether it be on Dynamite or Fighter Fest. We'll just have to wait and see. So, you know, I'm happy Chris Statler was able to do well. Absolutely. And I just, her gimmick is just so different mm-hmm. and so unique, and I love it. Because yeah, you don't, it's badass. Because you don't get that a lot in wrestling now where you mm-hmm. have something you haven't seen before. And I agree with you. It's completely badass. So moving on, 
we got my least favorite thing in the night. I won't speak for you. I'll get your thoughts here in a second. But for me, this was my least favorite thing of the night. And the only thing really that kept this in my eyes from being a completely flawless pay-per-view, it was the chairman, Sean Spears, against the natural Dustin Rhodes. Don't have a problem with these two facing, although it did seem to come out of nowhere. My problem here was that I felt like if you're going to give Dustin Rhodes a spot where Dustin Rhodes can say, yeah, I'm not retired, I'm back, why didn't you have him go against somebody like a Peter Avalon or somebody like where it's not going to hurt them to lose to Dustin Rhodes because this is another loss for Sean Spears. And when you couple that or combine that, whichever term you prefer, with the fact that Sean Spears has had gimmick change after gimmick change after gimmick change. Like one minute, he's a serious chairman with Holly Blanchard. And then they're like, okay, Holly Blanchard's not around right now because he's not comfortable working during the pandemic. We're going to make him funny gambler guy. And then they have him do a segment on Dynamite leading into this match where he's evil newscaster guy. Like they can't settle on anything with Sean Spears. So you have that going on on top of the fact that you have the situation where it just looks bad for them having him lose because he just looked like he's floundering. For somebody that's so talented and they immediately went up and signed immediately because they wanted to show that they could do more with him than what NXT was able to do, it's just not there yet. And something like this does not help that. So, yeah, I was just a little bit disappointed by the outcome. I did like the fact that he had the Telly Blanchard underwear. I thought that was hilarious. I don't know how they can explain a guy having a manager on his underwear, but I thought that was mm-hmm. great. And I also really liked the him pulling the old school Shawn Michaels where Shawn Michaels faked Bret Hart's music back in Montreal. He did the same thing here where he thought he was faking Dustin Rose's music to rile up the people only to have Dustin Rose in fact come out. So there were elements that I did like about it, but I just didn't like Sean Spears losing. So what was your overall opinions of this match? Well, with this, yeah, I would agree that Sean Spears actually should have won, and that would have made a lot more sense. And having to be where he was when he first came in, being with Tolly Blanchard and be, you know, the chairman and everything, I thought that was going fine. And, you know, I know he was also looking for a tag team partner, didn't really find one, couldn't really get along with anybody. So I feel like him being a single star with Tully Blanchard would definitely go a long way if they did that again. Yeah, for sure. 100% agree with you. AEW is all out, which of course is their version of WrestleMania. All in started the Genesis that became all elite wrestling. So all out is announced for September 5th, 2020. We talked about it. We love the fact that AEW spaces out their pay-per-views so much because it makes them easier to support and gives their storylines time to breathe. So I'm just a huge fan of that policy overall, and I'm looking forward to All Out because 
All Out is always just crazy. Based on last year, it's just going to be crazy, good show, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's what I like about AEW. They don't have, like, every month is a pay-per-view. It's like every once in a while, it adds a lot more, and it builds up to a lot of more stories, too, that way. Yeah, three and a half months between pay-per-views. Honestly, Mm -hmm. WWE could learn a lot from them. It just helps the product a lot more because every Mm -hmm. feud you see by the time a pay-per-view rolls around, you're like, okay, I can totally buy in, no pun intended, but I can totally buy in to why these matches are happening because Mm -hmm. of the space between the shows. So, yeah. Next up was the AEW Women's Championship match as the Native Beast, Nyla Rose, drops her title in a no-DQ, no-count-out match for the championship to Akara Shida. I was really surprised by this outcome. I really was. I picked Nyla Rose to retain because she just won the title. I speculated with you earlier, and I'll reiterate it for my audience here as well. I wonder if this was a reaction to the tragedy with with Hannah from earlier in the week because she's one of Hannah's best friends. They have that history starting together in stardom. I wonder if this was like, we'll make you feel better. We'll pay off all your hard work by having you win the title. Or if this was more like you have been busting your ass while our women's champion was not able to be around. We're going to give you the title and let you run with it and be the face of our division. And we think Nyla can come back at a later point. So I'm not really sure why they made the decision they made, but the match itself was great. The character work from Nyla Rose was tremendous. So many near falls the way that Akara Shida was able to build up momentum throughout the match. I just thought everything about the match worked. And for it to be a surprise outcome, to me, as I said, just added that extra icing on the cake with this one. So what did you think about the way this match went down? Yeah, I actually wasn't expecting Shida to win. And that's really a bad thing because I like both of these women. So I can see these two definitely uh, continuing things you know, after a while. If Nyla isn't still going to continue or not, that's you know not really here or there. We'll see what happens with that. But I'm happy she the one, and I think that's really cool. And I want to see where this goes and who she's going to be facing and everything else and how long she'll keep the title for. So I think that's a really cool choice that they went with her. 100% agree. Next up, the AEW World Championship is on the line as champ John Moxley defends against Mr. Brody Lee, the self-proclaimed AEW World Champion. I love this. I loved this. I love this. And the reason that I loved it so much was because they didn't shy away from the history between these two. They're like, Wrestling fans are not stupid, especially people watching these, this company. They know these two have a history on the indie scene in ZZW. They know these two have a history with WWE, so they played off of it. And they let them show, like, you're going to put us down lower on the card 
we're going to show you what we could have done for you if you let us be main eventers. And this match got stronger and stronger and stronger as the match went on. And the spot with them crashing through the stage, the ECW Heatwave 98 spot with Bam and Bigelow and Taz being repeated by Moxley and Mr. Brady Lee here. And Brady Lee like waking up from underneath the stage and just blood pouring down his face and really kicking out of two paradigm shifts and the paradigm shift not being strong enough to put away Brigley and Brigley actually having to be choked out by Moxley as blood pours down his face and he actually has to pass out in order to lose the match for Moxley to remain AEW champion. I think it just made both guys look so strong and so credible. And I think the right man won. And I think the right man also looked really strong in defeat. Like that look he gave him like, you're celebrating now. You escaped against me now. But if I get another shot, it's going to be a different story on another night. So it keeps that plate spinning if they want to go there again and capitalize on it when Brody Lee is not so new in AEW. Like, I just really loved everything about this match. So what did you think about it? Yeah, this match is probably one of my other favorites besides a lot of match. And seeing that spot, you know, with the stage ramp and everything was insane. That was cool. And, you know, having John Moxley retain makes sense. I feel like over time, Mr. Brody Lee will actually have his time. And um, we'll see, because it's pretty surprising that we didn't really see too much of the Dark Order being involved in this when I was kind of expecting it. So it was really a little weird that we didn't get to see them. So that was the first. It was weird and a first, but also I think it was the right call because it's subverted expectations. And that's what you want mm-hmm. from a match like this. Like Brody yeah. Lee is the crazy cult leader, but he doesn't need his minions to be successful. And that's what he proved in this match. So, yeah, I think the way they booked this match, I think was just so well done. And I would Mm -hmm. not be averse to seeing these two go at it again. I know Moxley's got Brian Cage next, as we talked about earlier, but when they circle Mm -hmm. back around these two, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I really do. So, Your main event number two of the night was, of course, the Stadium Stampede match. We didn't have any idea what a Stadium Stampede match was going into it, but my goodness, I'm ready for another one now. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. was just so good. It, of course, was the inner circle. Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, the Spanish God, Santana and Ortiz, and Jake Mm -hmm. Hager versus the Elite, Hangman and Page, Kenny Omega, Matt and Nick Jackson, and their friend, Broken Matt Hardy. This was amazing. Like, they took what we liked about the cinematic natures of Money in the Bank and the Boneyard match from WWE and just took it up to another level. Just craziness after craziness after craziness. And this match being taped, obviously, was a necessity because of how many people were involved in it and the safety measures that are going on with the pandemic and 
working with a limited crew. But, you know, it really worked for this match because they were able to split up what was going on. We saw things like Nick Jackson hitting suplexes all the way down the football field, which was great. The start of the match was actually a direct callback to Captain America's Civil War with the airport scene charge. There was hilarious stuff with Hangman Adam Page and Jake Hager, where Hager actually finds Page in a bar after Page does the badass riding on the horse. And the two actually share a drink before. And I'm like, okay, is Hangman going to turn here? Is that what's going to happen? Is he going to join the inner circle? He suckers him in, punches him, takes him out. Then Omega shows up. Those two beat him down in the bar, break like six bottles of Chris Jericho's bubbly above Jake Hager's head. It was just, it was great stuff. And then the stuff with Matt Hardy, like Matt Hardy, broken Matt Hardy. It just, no pun intended, but he's just wonderful. Everything about him is, yeah, everything about him is just brilliant. And the way they did, like, we'll talk about it because some people didn't like it because of the death of Chad and what just happened. But again, I'd like to point out that I think that it's obvious that this match was pre-taped. So depending on when it went down in terms of taping it, they probably were not aware of either Chad being in danger or aware of him officially being gone. So I don't think there was any ill ill intent by them doing this pull spot. And really, Matt Hardy couldn't have drowned anyway, because we're talking about three feet of water. And it was just meant for comedic relief, which it was. And you saw a lake of reincarnation where you had like three different versions of Matt Hardy. We, of course, saw Damascus, broken Matt Hardy. We saw a regular, you know, Team Extreme Matt Hardy. And then we got an AEW version of Matt Hardy V1, transforming somewhat into Matt Hardy V2 as well. And we saw the Mattitude graphics being changed to Matter of Facts graphics. And we even had it where Santana and Ortiz can see the graphics on the screen, it, it was just tremendous, tremendous stuff. And then him tying Ortiz into the chair of wheels and pushing the wheelchair around with, or him having to push his own self around, sorry, with himself being tied to the wheelchair. Like, this was just so freaking funny. And then the ending of the match comes with Kenny Omega, we made a mistake, slight mistake early on your show, so I do apologize. It wasn't either Santana or Ortiz. It was, in fact, Sammy Guevara who got hit with the move. So it was a massive one-winged angel because the way the stadium mm-hmm. is laid out, they're up on top of stadium area seating on top. And then below on the football field, they had a crash mat set up and the height on this one winged angel crashing down to the football field my god man it had to be 20 25 feet 
in the air. It was just give absolutely, yeah, give or take. It was just absolutely insane. Just so many crazy things. Jericho, I almost for, forgot about that. Jericho messing with Aubrey Edwards after he gets a two count. Like, that's BS. That's BS. That's three. I want to go to the replay booth. I want to go to the replay booth. And playing off the fact that they're in a football field and calling Aubrey Edwards a crappy referee from making a two count, putting a cone on his head and laughing at himself. Like, th mm -hmm. there's just there was just so much in this match to keep track of. And I just loved it. It was crazy. It was stupid. But it worked. AEW made the best out of a bad situation. They couldn't do the blood and guts war game style match that they wanted to do given the pandemic. So just as WWE did with Money in the Bank and Boneyard, they took mountains or they took, you know, a stinker and made roses out of it. They took a mohill and made mountains is what I was trying to say earlier. Like they did the best they could and gave us a brilliant match. I just loved everything about this. It was my favorite match of the year so far. So were you able to keep track of everything? And just what was your reaction to this match? Yeah, I think I was able to keep track of everything pretty damn well. And it was definitely a really fun match. I like these cinematic matches and everything, so I'm happy we're getting them. And it's looking to probably be a mainstay, which is pretty cool. And it's kind of something like seeing it out of the video games and stuff like that. So it's definitely, you know, something different. And it actually adds a lot more. So seeing the different versions of Matt Hardy in this and having Hangman Adam Page return, which is really cool. And seeing all these different insane crazy spots to go with it and everything. So I'm happy the Elite won. That was a cool way to end things. And, you know... I don't know what we would expect to see with blood and guts. So they'd probably be expecting the unexpected and anything can really happen. Absolutely. Because we don't know if we're getting blood and guts or not. So if this was Maybe, the blow off yeah. of the feud, then great. If we get blood and guts, you know, I'm all for that as well. But yeah, just a great pay-per-view. Just the only yeah, reason dope. it doesn't get a five out of five is because of the two kind of iffy matches with Penelope Ford and Statlander and also Sean Spears and Dustin Rose, as we talked about earlier, but it darn near gets a five out of five for me. If I was able to give it a star rating, like this was just such a good show. So if you haven't had a chance to see this show and you sat through this podcast, first of all, thank you for that. Second of all, do yourself a favor and go and check out this show because this was my favorite show of 2020. This by far. Yeah, AEW definitely doesn't really seem to disappoint, and especially with the pay per views because I like how it goes like, you know, one thing after the other, and it's not really filler or anything. So it keeps it going that way. And AEW Double or Nothing, I think, is definitely one of my favorite pay per views so far that they do have right now. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, we have a live comment from a good friend of mine. So get ready, sir, for your comment to be seen by the world. It's my buddy Chris Cummings, who of course joined me for my What is the Future of Becky Lynch special. So hey, you buddy over there on the pond, he says, 
I guys hope all is well. And then he also chimes in and says, I enjoyed the show also. So I'm glad you had a chance to see it, man, because I know we talked off air and you weren't sure if you had a chance to see it. So thanks mm-hmm. for tuning in, man. And glad you were here and glad you enjoyed it. So David, let all the fine folks out there watching slash listening know where they can follow you and check you out yeah. as we get out of here. Yeah, basically, uh, Fort Minor Project all across the board, uh, in the hot seat 89 for Twitter. And of course, for the in the hot seat podcast can be found on anchor, of course, my YouTube channel, and other streaming platforms still to come. Awesome. Well, thank you as always, for being here, my friend. It's always great to hang out with you. And as I always like to say, life is only as good as what you choose to make it to be. So make the choice to go out and do something great today.